Good morning, church family. Welcome to worship. Whether you're joining us at our central campus, our Six Mile campus at Lake Carroll, or you're part of our online community, I'm so glad that you've joined us today. And this is a special day. We're celebrating the 4th of July. And I'm coming to you from this beautiful space at MacDill Air Force Base, right here in Tampa Bay, the home of Central Command and, and SOCOM. And as you can see, I'm, I'm standing here in the Special Ops Memorial, recognizing that there have been so many through the years that have, have paid the ultimate sacrifice that we could enjoy freedom. And so tomorrow, we celebrate 246 years as a nation. Happy birthday, America. It, aren't you grateful to be an American? I, I know I am. I, I'm grateful that, that in God's providence, this is where he allowed me to live. This land where, where we're able to pursue life and, and liberty and, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and we're in a specific cultural season when, when our Supreme Court, our, in our nation, there have been some rulings that, that help us to celebrate even those things, the benefit and the value of life, religious freedoms and liberty. And for many, even the opportunity to pursue happiness. Do you know what I've noticed over the last few years? There are some that would say it's not okay for us to do that. It's not okay for us to, to be excited or proud of being American. It's not all right to, to be patriotic. So this weekend, that's what I would like to address from God's word. Is it okay to love our country? Is it okay to say I'm proud to be an American? The short answer is yes, but I'm going to teach you why I believe that straight from the Word of God. But before I do that, I'd like you to join me as we start this message and pray once more, asking God to bless this time. So let's pray together. So Father, in, in the name of Jesus, we again are grateful to gather and Lord, especially today, I'm grateful to gather in this beautiful setting. You have anointed an incredible day just for, for me to stand in this sacred place and to talk about your words, Jesus. So Lord, as we often pray, we would ask that you do the same things we ask every time we gather. Teach us what we need to know that we've not yet learned. Give us what we don't yet have, but we desperately need and, and make us different. Men and women, boys and girls, from young adults to senior adults, make us those transformed truly into your image so that wherever we are, we can do whatever it takes to shine with your light and your love, Jesus, just like that city on the hill that you described. And Lord, because this is a little different setting, I want to pray once more today that the words of my mouth and even my thoughts in these next few minutes would be pleasing to you because it's you that is my strength. You're my redeemer. You're the reason I live. God, use this time to change lives for your glory in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Some of you are familiar with scripture and, and so you'll be familiar with the reality that the Pharisees regularly tried 
to trick Jesus. They were constantly trying to trip him up and to cause him to contradict things that he had said or what they believed to be true about their faith. And, and this was one of those times. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons because we do have an enemy and he's constantly trying to trick us. He, he, he's try, constantly trying to trip us up. He's the father of lies. And in this case, he puts together two groups, two groups that didn't even get along. Uh, the Pharisees who were the purest, the religious leaders, the Herodians who could be identified by their names. They were the ones who were loyal to Herod. These two groups didn't get along, but they came together because neither one of them liked Jesus. Maybe you've experienced this, I have. You, you have people in your life, they don't really like you. And, and maybe other people that don't like you don't like them, but they recognize that neither one of them like you. So they begin to like each other. It's that old saying, the friend of my friend is my enemy, or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You understand that. That's what was taking place here. Let's continue. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Now, all of this is true, but what are they doing? They're buttering up Jesus. Now, we all like to be encouraged. I know I like to be encouraged. I love that statement by John Maxwell. He says, man does not live by bread alone. Sometimes we need to be buttered up. We all like being buttered up, but often when it's like this, you realize there's something else that's taking place. Sometimes when somebody's really buttering you up, they're after something. And that's the case with Jesus. So they say, tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And if you understand what's taking place, whatever Jesus would say here would get him into trouble. Either he would be a traitor or he would be a heretic because either one of these groups of people would be very mad at his answer. So what does he say? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, that's so important in life, just getting to a place where, where like Christ, you can discern the times. You can discern the moment you're living in. And that's what we see in Jesus, discernment. He says, you hypocrites, what are you doing trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And so then they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is on it? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said, will give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. There you have it, one of the most well-known statements in all of human history, even outside of religious circles. Say it with me again. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. What in the world does that really mean? We're going to answer that, but let's finish this passage. So when they had heard this, they were amazed. And they left him, and they went away. This passage takes place right before a passage we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, where Pharisees again had come to Jesus, and they asked him the passion question. You know, what's the most important thing? What's the most important command? Jesus said, you know, tell me. And the Pharisee, the lawyer, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and and love your neighbor 
as yourself. Love God passionately. Love others intentionally. What you may not have realized before that passion question came this political question. They were attempting to trick Jesus, to cause him to commit a crime or to cause him to commit heresy. You know what I think about when I see this? Divisive people and divisive politics. That's not a new thing. That's always been around. But Jesus, Jesus stayed on mission. He did not allow himself to be drawn into political discussions. The answer to this question really was the same answer to the passion question. Jesus wanted to demonstrate the most important thing is what's controlling your life. What do you love most? What do you love more than anything? I grew up being extremely patriotic. And in my small town in rural USA, everybody was a flag-waving American. Fourth of July was one of the most exciting times of the year. We would gather together and we'd have big picnics. Man, we'd have watermelon eating contests and eat hot dogs and, and apple pie and ice cream. We'd have a big church softball game together. It was an awesome time. In the evening, uh, we would have fireworks. We would sing, God bless America. Man, everybody I knew simply loved the fact that, that, that we were Americans. Then I went off to college. And you know, I studied political science. That's what my degree is in. I, I studied our nation's history. I, I studied military history. I, I studied the things that have made this land great. And then God gave me the opportunity to work in Washington, D.C., to walk the halls of, of the U.S. Senate, and even to have a little bit of an inside look into the White House, to walk around all the monuments and memorials in our great nation's capital. Then as I got a little older, I've had a chance to visit other places in the world. You know, I've been to the cemetery in Normandy, the American cemetery, more than a dozen times. There are few places on the planet more moving than that place for me. Just to think of the thousands of young men that gave their life, many of them on one day, to sacrifice so that we could enjoy freedom, so that we're not the United States of Germany today. Now I've traveled all over the world, country after country. I love it. I love the different cultures. I love the diversity in our church. But at the end of the day, when I get off that plane, Man, I'm so grateful to be on American soul. I really am proud to be an American. I like that old song we used to sing so much. But in, in recent years, that pride has been called into question because it's almost like, how can you, how can you serve God and, and love your country? How, is it okay to be grateful for this land we live in and, and also love our God fully? And I, I think the answer to these questions are found in the words of Jesus. I, I think the answers are found in what he said to the Pharisees on that day. And, and so I want to take his words, give you three statements that I think can help you love our country well. Help you be the kind of citizen that makes a difference right where you are, but also recognizing that God has placed you here to give him glory. Here, here's the first of those statements. 
You need to know who you are. Do you know who you are? We, we talked about this last week when we were dealing with those great commandments. We, we said that it's who you are that determines how you see the world, and it's how you see the world that determines what you do for God. I think there are a lot of people who claim to know God that really don't know who they are. What defines us? And in our culture, we've allowed a lot of the things that define us become the thing that defines us. Let me illustrate that. So you may vote Republican and, and you're a Christian, but you think of yourself as a Republican Christian, not just as a follower of Christ, the thing that should define us. You may be from a different race than I am. Um, you may be African-American, for example, or Asian-American. But if we're not careful, we can let those things that do define us become the thing that does define us. And, and God was illustrating something through Jesus here that we need to understand about who we are. Jesus was making a, a statement that the religious leaders didn't understand in the moment. And frankly, many of them do not understand even still today. Jesus was explaining that there's more than one kingdom and that you and I, we're citizens of more than one kingdom. So what did Jesus do in this moment? He asked for a coin, a denarius, a Roman coin that would identify clearly whose kingdom it was from. It was a Roman empire coin. There would be a picture of Caesar. I was trying to think about how to illustrate this, and I, I thought about one of my favorite pieces of paper, the Ben Franklin, you know, one of our American leaders. Um, I don't hold this piece of paper very often, but I like it when I do, and actually I find um, when I hold it, it doesn't stay in my hands very long. This won't even get me a full tank of gas today. Go figure. But, but when I look at this, I, I recognize that this isn't good everywhere in the world. This is an American bill. Some places take it, but not everywhere. It, it has a distinct purpose. I'm going to put this in my pocket for safekeeping. What was Jesus trying to communicate? He was reminding us that as citizens of this world, we're just pilgrims. In fact, in Scripture, he calls us exiles. We're sojourners. We're, we're people who stay here temporarily. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. In Philippians 3.20, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Maybe you've heard that quote by C.S. Lewis. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were created for another world. Do you know who you are? Yes, you're a citizen of this world. If you're an American citizen, you're a citizen of the U.S. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. Don't ever forget who you are. You need to know who you are. But Jesus was saying more than that. He told us that we need to know where we were. We need to know where we are. Do you know that? Today, I, I'm at McDill Air Force Base. I, I'm at the Special Ops Memorial. I'm in Tampa Bay. I'm in this great sunshine state of Florida. I'm in the United States of America. So why does that matter? Why is that significant? 
well, specifically, they were in Jerusalem. They were in what we call the Holy Land. But do you know that during this time, they were under Roman rule? So when they were asking a question about paying taxes, these weren't taxes that were going to the leaders in Jerusalem or what we call Israel today. These were poll taxes that were going to the Romans. In other, in other words, it was payment to those who were occupying them, even though they were occupying them under rule. But still, Jesus makes a point. And he says, if it's Caesar's, give it to Caesar. Jesus was reminding us, while we were made for heaven, we're not yet home. It's what Jesus talked about in, in other places when he said, you're in this world, even though you're not of this world. So what do we do? We bloom where we're planted. That's what the prophet Jeremiah talked about in Jeremiah 29 in, in verse 7, when he says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the Syria city which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. God's word is saying to us, even though this is not our forever home, we are to live here and love it here so that we have the best opportunity to glorify God here where we are. So let's make that real practical. How do I do that? I love well. It's just the continuation of this summer of love that we're in. We love God and, and we experience the Father's love. And then we love others in everything we do. We love well. We look out around us in this world to see that we might love well. I think Jesus was saying it's okay to love other things. You don't have to love just God. You understand that everything in your life comes from God if it's good. It's okay to love good things. What's not okay is to make any of those good things the ultimate thing. So it's okay to love your country. You just don't let the love of country supersede your love of God and who He is and where He's placed you. It's okay to love life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You just don't let those things supersede the love of Jesus in your life. It's okay to celebrate these good things. Just don't let your celebration of good things become the ultimate thing in your life. And that's been the case for many, I believe, in recent times. It seems like other things, even other good things, have become the main thing. I want to challenge you on this weekend where we celebrate independence. As, God, as God's Word says, don't use your freedoms to allow you to sin. Don't allow the independence that you enjoy to allow you to put things that are not God in His place. Let God govern your political and governmental views. Don't allow those political and governmental views to govern what God should be governing in your life. That takes us to the last thing you need. You need to know who you are. You, you need to know where you are. But old friend, most importantly, you need to know whose you are. What did Jesus say? Think about this again. He held the coin 
And he said, whose portrait, whose image is on this coin? Caesar, they replied. Then he said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God that which is God. Caesar's image was on the coin. Give Caesar the coin. God doesn't care about that. But where was God's image? Well, the Bible tells us. It describes it in Genesis 1.27 at the very beginning of the book. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Jesus was saying, give Caesar what is Caesar's. But give God what is God's. And you know what belongs to God? Everything. You know what belongs to God? All of you. What was Jesus saying in that moment? At the very core, Jesus was saying, you bear God's image. And so all of you belongs to him. Don't take any part of you and siphon it out to something else. Give all of you to God. That's all he wants. He wants to be the priority, the main thing. That's why scripture calls him the Lord. He's the CEO. He's the boss. He's the one who governs your life. He's the one who's in charge. What does that do? That means that we get to a point where regularly we pray what Jesus taught us to pray. You remember that? In the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he said this, pray that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You belong to him. You bear his image. That's what should govern the way you live. Let me make this real practical and help you take it home. Let me just give you three things. The first thing I want you to do is examine your loves. We, we talked about it's okay to love different things. C.S. Lewis talked about four loves. He said there's, there's first philos love, which is a love that's kind of a brotherly love. I have that love for some men that are standing around me as, as we shoot this message out at McDill. It's the love we have for one another. There, there's eros love. That's that sensual love. I, I have that kind of love for one person, for my bride, for Kimberly. There's agape love. That, that's a love of God. And man, that's the love we're to have of God. But there's also what C.S. Lewis calls a storge love. And, and that's like, man, I, I love my car or I love my favorite shirt or... I, I, I love other people in my life, or I love it when horns go off out of nowhere. It's just a love of things, and that's okay too. But you need to examine those loves. Then you need to prioritize those loves. Make sure your loves are in the right priority. Nothing should come before your love of God. After your love of God and all that He represents, His church, all that it means to serve Him, then nothing else should come before your love of family. And then you can love these other things, but prioritize your love.
And then I would say to you, share your love. Remember, that's, that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I want to remind you again this week to use those kindness cards that we gave out last week and are giving out again today. Use those and demonstrate the love of God in some tangible ways with no strings attached. Ask God to help you have gospel conversation even as you go through this week. Maybe even on Independence Day as you talk about what it means to love God even as you love your country. Share your love of God. As I close, I, I, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, every one of us are image bearers. Every person that's created is born in the image of God. That gives you great value. That gives you great potential. But here's the reality. The Bible also teaches that every one of us are sinners. That means in our lives, that image has been warped. And so God's perfect image that is implanted upon us at conception, sin begins to warp that image in our life. Jesus came to restore God's image for us. He came to take us as sinners and transform us into new creations that better reflect God's glory. If you're here as a follower of Christ, praise Jesus. You've been redeemed. Your image is being renewed and one day we will be like him as we see him face to face. Until then, man, keep examining your loves, keep prioritizing your loves and keep sharing your love. But if you're not yet a follower of Christ, Here's what I ask of you. Why not today? Understand that he created you in his image. Know that sin has warped his image in your life. Believe that Jesus came, that he died on the cross as the punishment for your sin, and that he offers for you new life. And receive him into your life today and experience the greatest freedom you could ever know. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Across this room, wherever you are, wherever you're watching, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just take a minute and ensure that you've got that right relationship with Jesus Christ? If you've never begun a personal relationship with Him, I just remind you, it, I'm not talking about being religious or following a bunch of rituals. It doesn't matter if you've been Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Episcopal or Lutheran or Assembly of God or Presbyterian or non-denominational doesn't matter if you've been to church class or first communion or confirmation, whether you've raised your hand and been dipped or dunked. I'm not talking about those things. I'm, I'm talking about a moment where you've understood, man, I was created in the image of God. Sin warped that image. But Jesus came to restore his image in me. And if you've never done that, would you consider just praying to him this prayer right now? Just you and him. Say this. Dear Jesus. Just you and him. Dear Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for me. And I believe you live today. Come into my life. Take control. From this moment forward, 
I'm following you. Thank you for saving me. Now I'm free. Take a moment and tell him thank you. For all who've ever prayed that prayer, I want to remind you of something. The freedom that God gives us through Christ is really a total dependence on Him. As we celebrate our independence as a nation, I pray that this weekend you can celebrate your dependence on God through Jesus Christ. So Father, I thank You for those even in this moment that have begun a relationship with You. I thank You for others who've examined their loves and reprioritized things and walked out today with a commitment to share Your love. God, as we continue to worship you, may you honor, may you be honored in this place by our praise. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship him together.